I rock guitar and I am Redemption Church. I serve in the nursery because I am Redemption Church. I teach junior hires because I am Redemption Church. I teach kindergarten and first grade. I run graphics. Sing on worship team. We are the kids because I am Redemption Church. Because I am Redemption Church. Good morning, everybody. It's the rain, isn't it? It's freaking us out. We don't know what to do. We're like cats suddenly, you know? It's like, it's all wet out. I'm so depressed. All right, so uh, I don't know if you can see. I don't know if you can see this or not. My watch here. Can you see that? I am RC. Pretty nice, huh? You bug a, a, a watch company enough, they'll do whatever you want, you know? Um, it's really what it came down to. But, uh, man, I love our church. I love what God is doing in our church. And, and I love the fact that just last Sunday, we celebrated our fifth birthday, right? So five official years. We're kindergartners now. And, and so what we've done in light of that and in light of having this new space that we're remodeling and everything else, um, we, we've brought back out what our values are as a church. And so we've uh, dug out of the closet, so to speak, our backpack. And the backpack was a representation day one of what matters to us as a church, right? And so we've just been walking through that then for the last couple of weeks. We noted, first of all, that the whole reason we're doing this thing, right, this thing called Redemption Church, is it's, it's all about Jesus. It's not about us, not really. It's really about him. It's what he desires to do in the world. It's his mission, his ambition, his goals. And so everything we do is rooted in being all about Jesus. That's why Jesus is our senior pastor. That is why we are more preoccupied with making sure that we bring pleasure to Jesus, even than what we may dig or like as individuals. We go, now. it's all about him. And so we knew that was uh, dearly important to us. Now, in light of that, we said, well, there's going to be some things that really drive all of that. And so the first thing for us uh, is the Bible. We said, man, the Bible is his book. It's his church, therefore, we care about his book. And so we talked about his book and why we preach from his book and teach from his book. And we talk a lot about his book. That's on purpose. We bring up the Bible a lot on purpose. And so that's important to us. After that, we said the rope is very important to us. In other words, the church is community. And we are to be in community. We're to be tied off to one another because ultimately we are dependent upon others as others are dependent upon us. That's the way Jesus wired the church. Everybody is a puzzle piece. We have strengths and we have things where other people can fill in areas that we're not as strong, right? So that's why the rope is important to us. But, but this morning we're dealing with the two elements in this backpack that I love, the water cannon and the shovel, Right? And, and, and this is very simple for us. This has to do with the fact that the first time we met as church, we said that everybody here is to be a missional theologian. And, and what we meant by that is by a theologian, we're people of the book, and we want to know who God is, and we want to live God-centered lives. That's the theologian part. But missional means it's not just for us. It's not just so we can huddle up and learn and be knowledgeable and affirm one another and be done, but, but we're meant to be missional. We're meant to be for the world. Whether it be locally, as we are everyday missionaries bringing Jesus to our community, or it be global, as we plant churches and other places. All of that is important to us. And so I thought it'd be fun this morning, in light of the fact that this other additive, this idea of being missional, this idea of being on mission, that, that that's so important to us. I thought it'd be fun to be able to sit down and talk with one of our church planting families uh, that are with us. They've been with us for a number of months, and, and uh, man, we thought it'd be an awesome opportunity for you all to get to know them a little bit more, hear what they're doing, and hear how you might even be able to get behind more of what they're doing. And so right now, I want to bring out Andrew and Amber Lynn Clausen. Why don't you give them a hand as they're coming out, too? So uh, Andrew and Amber Lynn are actually in Indonesia. I'll let them uh, share that a little bit with you. Uh, but they have uh, been church planters there for a while. Right now they're back on what we call furlough. It's kind of their break to recharge their batteries. They definitely needed to have those batteries recharged and probably recharged again. Um, but they've been doing some really amazing stuff. And it has been a privilege. I've known them ever since I came to Duval. I, I met them shortly after I got here. And uh, I have always just loved their heart. 
Uh, and I thought it'd be really cool for us today to hear uh, their heart, what makes them tick, and what God is doing uh, in, in their world. So, uh, like I said, you guys have been in Indonesia, so why don't you just kind of share with everybody, I, I get to know the story, but kind of share with everybody as far as uh, kind of what the situation is there that, that causes you to say, this is why we want to go to this place. I mean, what, what are the conditions that you're dealing with? So, we live in a village of, in Donopete in Papua, Indonesia, and it's really remote. Um, the area that we live in, <clears throat> our tribe's uh, area that's theirs, is about the area from Monroe to Seattle, and it's all jungle and swamps. And there's about 300 people in that whole area. So if you take everybody that's here and you just drop them in that jungle, that would be about the equivalent of what our village is. Um, and coming from the States, a lot of us think we don't have a Christian nation anymore, but we are a land of lights. There's a lot of Christians here, and because of that, there's a lot of influence from Christians in this country. In our village, there's not a church. There are no Christians, so it's a land of darkness. And so our goal, Andrew and I, as lights coming from this church, is going into that village so that we can be a light and give the hope of Christ to them. So on that, too, give a little bit of a context on when you say, you know, this is a land of light still. But that's darkness. Give some examples of the kind of darkness that you deal with there. Because it's different than, than here, right? So in our village, um, everything is based off of fear, revenge. Like all of their decisions are based off of that. Because they don't have hope. They don't have love. They don't have grace. And so um, as lights, what happens is if you go into a dark place, you have people are drawn to that light, and so we even see this darkness intensified. And the first two stories in mind that just kind of really exemplify this fact about our people is um, if somebody has twins, which we've had two friends that we know of have had twins, and they're the ones that told us these stories, is that they believe that the second child is actually an evil spirit chasing the first child. And so they deliver in the jungle, and They'll take that twin, the second one, and they'll just dig a, a hole in the ground, and they'll, they'll put that baby in there, um, still alive, and they'll just cover him with leaves or her, and they'll just leave the baby. Um, but, I mean, they make that decision out of fear because they legitimately believe that that's an evil spirit, you know, attacking that child. Um, and the other thing is, um, right now I have a little bit of a stuffed nose because I have a cold. And we know that, you know, colds and viruses, those are from germs. They believe if they have a cold or a virus, if they get sick with malaria, they think it's somebody has cursed them, and they believe in witchcraft. Um, and this happened in actually the village right next to us. There is a lot of sickness going around, and they blamed it on these three orphan boys that were nine years old, which my son is turning nine this month. So it's a little bit closer to home. Um, and they took those three boys, and they tied them to a tree um, for... It was a couple of days, and eventually a national coworker of ours interceded. Um, but by that point, two of the boys had already died from, um, yeah, not having water, dehydration. And so there was only one boy left, and they finally got the village to agree, okay, we'll take him off while we discuss this. And they did allow him to live, and that national coworker actually had to adopt him because he was then an outsider, and he actually had to move to another village with that coworker. Um, but that's just, that's how our village operates. And, I mean, you might hear those two stories and go, okay, well, those must be the two worst stories, and they're not. Like, these are normal events that we hear, you know, a couple times a week, something equivalent of that happening. And we are a country that, you know, not everybody, but a lot of us, we operate on love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And so just how those two worlds, just how our operating systems are so different. So it's kind of apparent it needs something different than what it's had. So why don't you share a little bit, Andrew, with everybody as far as your, your personal motivation and saying this is why we want to do this and this is what's driving us. Um, I kind of go back about 10, 12 years ago. I had gone through my first year of Bible college. Um, prior to that, I kind of felt the calling or leading um, to go over and serve as a missionary. Um, but I came back from my first year of Bible college and I saw all my classmates, uh, many of them, you know, were getting involved in good colleges, uh, going towards good careers. 
and uh, getting involved in any kind of ministry um, is kind of a, a not a good, fi- a good financial decision. Um, so I was kind of looking like, is this something I really want to do? This is not going to be easy. Um, but uh, prior to that, I, uh, I had, you know, I'd read Ecclesiastes, and I honestly hated Ecclesiastes. It was a terrible book. I don't know why God I put it in there. I don't understand you. Yeah. So I, I just hated it. So um, I would read it, and I'd get, you know, partway through it and just close it and be like, no, not for me. Um, depressing. <clears throat> but around that time, I think the Holy Spirit really led me to just open up and read Ecclesiastes again. Um, so I read it and uh, really saw it in a new light, saw what the intent of the book was. And I just kind of looked at um, the career I would want to pursue and it just kind of looked at everything as saying, you know, everything in this world is meaningless. Uh, it's not wrong to pursue a career, but for me to pursue that, there would be no eternal value for it. Or otherwise, if I got involved in ministry, I could have uh, eternal um, yeah, there's eternal value in that. Um, so I kind of felt like at that time, I, I was like, you know, Ecclesiastes um, really spoke to me. And, you know, you look at uh, the very end, it says, fear God and keep his commands. And if I felt like God was commanding me to go and serve as a missionary overseas, I really need to obey that, uh, that command. So um, from that point on, Ecclesiastes is now my favorite book, and I just kind of go. Yeah, it is. And, uh, yeah, so I go, and anytime I'm feeling down, I just go read three Ecclesiastes, and it just is a very uplifting book to me. Oh, I actually got a tattoo as a reminder of that, so. Meaningless. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Always an encouragement to people. That's yeah. awesome. So, yeah. And, and obviously, I mean, I, just to highlight this, and so this was something that, you know, you, you felt compelled to do, and even as you've been over there, um, it's tested that resolve, right? I mean, you, I mean, you were so sick. I mean, you really were at death's door, yeah. and you want to go back, and you want to go back, even though there is a lot of madness and retribution and revenge and hate. You want to go back, so, and you want to go back in January. So why, why would you say you're urgent to this particular task? Um. Yeah, we look at the Bible, and we know the eternal destiny of those who don't believe in Jesus is hell. Um, and I look at the village, they, they don't know. They don't know about Jesus. They can't make that decision to accept or reject Jesus. Um, so when they die, they go to hell. And uh, as we become friends with people there, uh, we've, uh, yeah, there's a lot of death in the village. It's just a hard life. Um, you know, there's war, there's injuries, there's illness. So there's been times where we've sat with people who have uh, now become our friends, and uh, we've watched them die, and uh, we know what their destiny is, and there's no coming back from that. Yeah, so that's why we're going to go. I'm just us being away for a year. Uh, the chances of somebody dying uh, is pretty high, especially with us not being there to provide medical care. Um, so we may be going back to a number of our friends having died. And continuing to die until we can uh, present the gospel. Yeah, and um, for me, it's very similar. Um, going back to the whole lights thing, it is scary being a light going into a very dark place. You know, things that you see, and you, we don't have this church to come back to. You know, on weekends and to enjoy, and you know, we're there for this last time. It was four years, and we came back, and people said, "You seem pretty depressed." I said, "Yeah." Like, God commands us to fellowship with one another for a reason. So we didn't have that for, you know, three and a half years, and we came back really drained. Um, But as we are the lights and we're seeing how much they need Jesus, I mean, we talk about how we sense darkness, and it was really interesting when we land in the village, and we quite often will say, we're so glad you're back because when you're here, we're not afraid. Um, And I had never thought of that before. I mean, but just like we sense darkness, they sense the light. John eight twelve talks about how, you know, those who follow Christ will not be in darkness. And as we're, we, I always imagine we all have candles. Everybody in the world has a candle. And ours, we are gracious enough. We've been loved enough that our, our candles lit. We know Christ and we have that light of Christ. But all of our villagers, you know, they have their candle and it's not lit. And like Andrew said, you know, when they die, all that remains, they're not there anymore, but there's a candle on the ground. 
that will never be erased. Um, and so our village right now is just littered with unlit candles. And um, we're just praying that we can change that. So why don't you share then with everybody here as far as how they can join in your urgency, right? So you're looking at January. Um, every time I talk to these guys, they cry. Um, every time. Um, you know, that, that's, and that's their urgency. That's the, the weight of the burden that they feel all the time, right? Um, and so how, how can redemption then kind of partner in with your urgency? What is it that you would ask of them to uh, consider? Um, uh, obviously prayer. Um, when I was really sick, uh, many of the doctors and nurses involved in my care said, you know, you shouldn't have made it. Um, and I believe that it was the prayer of the believers um, that got me through that. Um, so just prayer, uh, yeah, it's hard, as you can see. Um, and secondly, uh, encouragement. Um, it's uh, very lonely out there. Uh, we're the only English speakers in the village. Um, it gets very, very lonely. Um, people sending packages just with candy, even just kind of a reminder that there's something outside of where we are, a reminders of home, and even just a little note, just a letter saying we're thinking of you. Um, it gets very lonely, like I said, and it kind of you feel very disconnected from the rest of the world. Um, so just kind of that, uh, just a little bit of uh, yeah, reminder that there's something out there. Um, but most important, um, for a number of reasons, uh, we have a deficit um, in our ministry account. So we currently need $1,400 more a month um, in support um, to be able to go back out in uh, January. Um, so that's just, we just can't go until we get that, those fundings. Um, We've spoken to a number of churches, and we're just kind of slowly getting it, but still $1,400 is the number we need before we can go out. So that's how you guys can get involved um, as a church. Uh, the church supports us, but individuals can get involved by supporting us monthly to get that number up. So here is your opportunity. If you are listening to uh, what Andrew and Amberlynn are sharing, and you go, I want to know more about that. I want to know more about them. I'm going to be uh, a bit more informed and maybe even ask some questions, that kind of thing. Um, there are two ways that you can get on basically their connection list, all right? So one, if you're still uh, rolling with the analog action, on this card right here, on the back side, there's a box that says, you can check this and say, I'm interested in learning more about the Clausens. Then just put your contact information there, and we're going to give every one of those cards to Andrew and Amberlynn uh, after today. So that's one way. The other way is right there. You can text the word Clausen if you're digital. Uh, and fill out that information, and they're going to get that as well. And so this is a way that we wanted to be able to connect people that say, man, that's compelling to me. I want to be a part of that, uh, to connect you with them in, in a way that would be even more relational. You can get a better sense of uh, what they're doing, and then you know they may have some things that you can sit down with them even more and, and get more details. Because honestly, when you hear some of the stories in the village, I mean, they told me one about some guy that tried to take another person's child, and then there was retaliation by stabbing them in the chest with an arrow, and then they burned down somebody else's house. I mean, it was madness. You know, I'm like, this happens in the real world out there? And it really does, actually. Um, and so this is where they're seeking to plant a church. And, and, and I think for those of us who, who follow Christ, we see the value uh, in there, and we see the challenge in there, and all the more why they seek our prayers, our encouragement, and even for those of us who may feel compelled, our financial resources. Uh, and, and I know some people say, man, we'll do a one-time thing. You know what would really bless them? A monthly thing would really bless them and make that possible for them to be on the field in a, in a, in a stable sort of way, so they don't have to kind of always be thinking about how do we make up deficits every year to two years, that kind of thing. So, something to think about. If you're interested, that's why we left the offering till the end, so you could check that box if you want and find out more about the Colossians. That'd be awesome. So, I'm going to pray for the Colossians right now. I'm going to pray for our time together as we get into God's Word a little bit, too, all related around this topic. And uh, I, I'm going to pray for their encouragement and, and for us to be attentive to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. Let's go ahead and pray together. Jesus, I thank you again so much for Andrew and Amberlynn. I thank you for their heart. I thank you for the fact that every time I do, I talk with them. This isn't just like, a, oh, this is what we should go do. Oh, this would be obedient. Um, no, there's a burden. There is a drive. There, there is um, a, a, a sense of, of weightiness behind 
what they do, why they do it, they do it for you. And, and so I thank you that you have given them this heart. And I pray for us as a church that we would be encouragement to them. I pray for them that they would be encouraged, not only by us, but encouraged by you, especially as they start to transition mentally to the field again. And knowing what they're going to face, I pray that you would protect them on the field. It is a spooky place. I pray that you would inspire them on the field. I pray that you would give them some kind of outlet of fellowship while they're on the field. And uh, I pray that we as a church would not have it be out of sight, out of mind, but that we would all the more remember them, all the more uh, be praying for them. Any chance we get to be um, sending them a little something that just says, hey man, don't forget home, here's a cup of noodle soup, you, you know, home is, is still here for you. Um, and so, uh, man, just give us that burden as you've given them this burden. And may we carry their burden as they carry this burden. Uh, may we carry them. And so, I, again, I just thank you for to them and for today. I thank you for your word. And I pray that we, as your people, will love the fact that you have a mission for the world that you are carrying out, and you've invited us to that purpose. So we love you, and we thank you, and we praise you in your good and perfect name. Amen. Hey, everybody. Uh, why don't you give Andrew and Amber Lynn just a hand? Huh? So again, just a big encouragement there. If you in any way say, you know, I want to know more, I would like to find out what's going on there, um, man, that would be really, really great. Because uh, again, you know, they, they have to make up a certain amount, but also they, they need a lot of encouragement. They always need a lot of prayer. And uh, I'm excited to see, uh, particularly, I'm going to call them young people. They're young people in comparison to me. Um, I'm excited to see young people that, again, have this burden that is beyond themselves. And when I think about our topic this morning of why we load up the, the super soaker, why we grab the shovel and why we do things, um, I love all the more that there is this heart amongst God's people that says, you know what, uh, we have things to do, we have things to accomplish. And uh, what I think is important about this is it's easy as Christians to say, um, the church has a mission, Right? The church has a mission to reach the lost with the gospel of Christ. And, and I think that's the way we a lot of times think about things. But I want to amend that a little bit. And I don't want us to think purely in terms of the church has a mission to reach people with the gospel of Christ. Instead, I want us to think in terms of God has a mission to reach the world. And he's given the world his church. That's different. See, that's different because I think it's very easy for us to try to take things on ourselves that they're not necessarily ours to take up. Everybody wants a mission, everybody wants a cause, and yet I look and I go, this isn't about the church having a cause or a mission, rather it's that God has a cause, God has a mission, and God so loved the world, he gave the world a church. After giving a son, his son comes into the world, his son takes the sins of the world, his son dies, his son rises, his son starts the church, and it's that gifting, that added gifting. I've given my son to the world, and now I've given the world my church because I have a mission to the world that I will execute through my church. That concept is a different thinking concept. And yet that is the concept that as a church from day one, we said, this is what's important to remember. We don't have a mission as Redemption Church. God has a mission and uses Redemption Church. And he uses Valley Foursquare. And he uses Stillwater. And he uses Overlake. And he uses the next one down the list. He uses those for his mission. But that's his agenda. In fact, in Matthew chapter uh, 16, Jesus, he talks about the church. It's the first time he says it. We can go ahead and bring up that Matthew chapter 16 verse 18 up there. He says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's why we use this big water cannon up here as our illustration. Because we understand that the mission of the church is really not the mission of the church. It's the mission of Jesus. He's made and built a church to go on mission, and he says, I want you to load up the super soaker and storm hell, man. Right? You go, you do, you share, because that is my mission, to use you in that way. And so that's why we have the super soaker. We know it's important that we go and do that. And, and we're going to get into this verse in a couple of minutes in a different way. But it reminds us that right off the bat, if you admire Jesus, you admire his teaching, you admire his ethics, then admire his mission. Because he says, I'm going to build my church. The other thing about this that I love is it's not my church. I don't build a church. 
Andrew and Amber Lynn, as they go to Indonesia, they're not going to build a church. Jesus builds churches. Why? Because they're his church for his mission to show his love to the world. And that's not just local, it's global. In fact, also, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, he says, here's what you are. I want you to own that you are the salt of the earth. You're the salt of of the earth. Now, a lot of scholars get into, well, what's the, the salt mean? Does it mean that you're flavored? Does it mean you're a preservative? And I listen to all the arguments, and in the end, I'm like, dude, that's lame. Here's what it means. Salt's awesome. That's what it means. Salt is awesome. Rock salt is awesome. You can make ice cream with it. Popcorn salt, salt is awesome. Don't put that grainy stuff on popcorn. Get the popcorn salt. That's awesome, right? Salt on corn cobs, awesome. Salt on ice, awesome. Like, salt is awesome, And so in this very interesting way, when Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, what he's saying is, man, you are an awesome additive to the conditions and the things of life. This is why, again, I go back to Jesus gave the church to the world in his love. That's why it's salt. The church is also the light of the world. I think about what Amber Lynn was sharing as far as, you know, this idea we're a a land of lights and there are places like where they go where there's darkness and there's only a couple of lights and the challenge there within. And all the more, Jesus is establishing this reality. He says, this is what you are. And I want you to notice that. You are. You are. Not you should be salt. Or you should be light. Or be nice if you were salt. Or it would be swell if you could work out being light. He just says, this is what you are. Let me define you. Let me give you your identity in me. Your salt. Your light. And we do this. We act as salt. We act as light. We, we go as missional theologians. Not so we can control or cajole or force or impose or any of that kind of thing. What we do is we go so that we might do good works. That we might do good, good works that people then see and they give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Right? We're not light and we're not salt so that we can be comfortable or we can have the society we want or we can have the security that we seek. I mean, that's, that's not why we're to be light and be salt. It's not because we have some human agenda to push or we want to retain something that's familiar to us. No, everything that we do is for God's glory. That's the bullseye. Right? That's why we load up the super soaker and we storm the gates of souls that need Jesus. We, we just, we invest, we care, we love, we share. That's why we want to be involved in planting churches that advocate this reality of this thing that Jesus is ushering in called the kingdom. That's why we have a shovel. That's why we have this super soaker concept. That's why we are missional. Now this morning in talking about that, there's a lot of ways that uh, I was thinking about going. And, and early on I thought, man, maybe I'll be very practical and I'll give some techniques. These are ways that we do this and everything else. And yet, as I thought about that more, I'm like, you know, um, I, don't, I don't sense that's what we need to do today. Uh, there's things that we've done historically that deal with that. You go back to our series on the United States of Babylon, right? And, and that series kind of gave us a lot of practicalities on how we can love the city and love our culture and invest and care for it. So that has some practical elements. There were things we did last year in First Peter. You could go back to that series and, and listen to that. This morning, what I want to do is simply go back to the issue of identity, what is true, what is true of the church, what Jesus definitively says or the apostles definitively say. And from what is true, my prayer then is that we're reminded, oh, this is who we are. Oh, this is what the mission is of God using us. And from that, we're more motivated and we're more moved to do what we know we should do. I mean, I think all of us, if we took a test on, quote, evangelism, we know exactly what we're supposed to do. Sometimes we struggle with doing what we know we're supposed to do. And I think sometimes we struggle because we don't realize who we already are in light of that mission and so this morning is all about who we are what the church is and what i would say is that the church is un church is un now this concept this idea of un i think we have a definition up here un is a prefix 
right? And expresses a reversal of some action or state or removal, deprivation, release, etc. Unbend, uncork, unfasten, whatever. I would look at this and say, that's exactly what the church is to be. It is to be an agency of un. Now, with that said, I'll be the first to confess that sometimes the church has been all of the wrong uns. And, And when a church or churches, or Christianity at different points in time have been all of the wrong uns, it is not a blessing. In our humanness, and I would say what the humanness of the Christian is, is when they lose sight of God's grace and God's power and God's glory and God's agenda, and it becomes about our security and our welfare and our wants, when we get human like that, we start to swing our pendulum one to two ways or we had our dexterity hand puzzle a couple of weeks ago where what we end up doing is going one to two directions we either go to the side of it's all grace without righteousness or we go to the side of all righteousness without grace and then we become a lot of unhealthy uns we become unloving or ungodly or unbiblical or undisciplined or unrighteous Uh, We become unfriendly, unhelpful, right? These are the dangerous, broken uns that sometimes people look at the church and say, that is the unhealthiness of those unchurches. And and I look and go, you know what? There are times where, again, in our humanness, we become unchanged communities. At least we look unchanged. And because we look unchanged, we then bring this unappreciated religion to the equation, and people go, oh man, there's, there's Christianity again, there's the church again, there's religion again, there's all those unwanted things. Now what I want to encourage us in, though, is that this is not due to a deficiency of the backpack, so to speak. This is not due to a deficiency of the Bible. It's not due to a deficiency of the power of the gospel. It's not due to a deficiency of the presence and continuing expansion of the kingdom. It's not due to the fact that community tying off to one another is a broken idea. I always want to come back to that the, the principles that God has given us, they do not break churches. They do not break lives. The Bible doesn't destroy people's lives unhealthy applications of things can destroy but but those principles man when those are in play right when when the church is pushing off the unhealthy uns and living in light of the right uns that is when god's church his gift to the world to accomplish his mission that's when it shines That's when it brings true transformation, and it brings true change, and it brings true value to lives of people, and it brings a true sense of blessing. And you go back to the fact that what Jesus actually is seeking to do by coming into the world is to bless the nations. God promised that way back in the book of Genesis. He goes to Abraham and he says, dude, here's what I'm going to do through you and through your offspring. I will bless all the nations. Why do you think Andrew and Amber Lynn are compelled by the Spirit to go to Indonesia? Because God is executing the blessing of the nations. This is why I go back to God has a mission for the world and he has a church to accomplish the mission. God wants to bless the nations. Now I get, like I said, sometimes the critic will say, but uh, the church, it's intrusive, it's this, it's that. Yeah, and it's humanness it can be that. But when it's Walking in the spirit, when it's reliant on the gospel, when it's driven by the grace of God, when it is in pursuit of things truly biblical in a biblical way, it brings blessing. It disseminates God's love. It displays a life of true holiness. And holiness is a beautiful thing. Holiness is not a self-righteous thing. Holiness is a freeing thing. Holiness is a wholesome thing. Holiness is a, is a healthy thing and so as the church as that entity that god uses for his mission we want to remember that we are to be the right ones not too loose not too tight what i mean by that is not so kind of libertine that we don't have rules and not so legalistic that we make up new ones that jesus never intended rather we want to center on all right jesus what would you have us to do because You said you were building your church. You're building us. You said we are light, we are salt. 
what he want us to do, what he want us to be. And I would say, he would say, get your unness on, right? Get your unness on. Embrace your unness. Here's the first thing. I'm going to give you four un things for the church this morning. The first thing that we want to remember and we want to own, these are just truths. I'm just telling you truths, all right? First of all, the church is unlike its world. The church is unlike the world that it is in. In John chapter 16, starting in verse 27, he says, For the Father himself, he loves you. Right? So this is, a, this is just a massive set our feet on, on, on solid ground. What's the solid ground we set our feet on? The Father himself loves you. Here's why. Because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. He says, man, if you believe in me, you've got to know how much God loves you. God is ridiculously loyal to you. God is ridiculously entrenched with you, right? So he loves you because you believe that I've come from God. He says, I came from the Father, right? And I came into the world, but now I'm leaving the world and I'm going back to the Father. They go, oh, well, that's a bummer. Then we're, 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 we're going to get by. How are we going to get by? And then he says in verse 33, well, here's what you need to know. He says, I, these things I've said to you that, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Now, I'll, I'll tell you what I love about this and why I say this is the first thing. We're unlike the world. Um, Jesus is very honest here about the human condition in verse 33. Uh, man, there's going to be tribulation, right? We as humans, we know this reality in life. And from that, it stirs all sorts of things. Anxiety, fear, concern, worry of what's going to happen down the road and, and all of this instability. And yet Jesus says, all right, the world always faces that. The world always faces some new threat, some new problem, some new concern. It might be the housing crisis. It might be who's going to be president. It might be what's happening with ISIS. It might be your own body as you're dealing with an autoimmune disease or you're dealing with cancer or you're dealing with some other challenge. There's always going to be some thing. And yet Jesus says, but here's the thing. Here's where you're different than the world. Even though there's tribulation, I have given you peace. I've given you a peace that transcends those problems. This is how we're to be unlike the world right this is the framework and i guarantee if if we really owned what we are we are people who are have a deposit of the peace of christ in our life if we owned that truth that would make us different if we own that truth we would have conversations that are different we would have interactions that are different we'd have perspectives that are different we would look at the news different we would look at the problem different See, Jesus says, now, I'm telling you what I've given you, right? Because you believe in me, my Father loves you, and because of that, there's going to be tribulation, but I have given you peace. I've given you peace. I've stormed into your mess. I've slammed into your life. I've slipped into your soul, and and therefore, I've given you what you need to deal with the, the storms that come. This is how the church is unlike the world. And I love the fact that then he says, and you know what, take heart, I've overcome. And, and the implication is because I've overcome, you overcome too. Start, start living like an overcomer, right? Because this is who you are. This is what I've made you to be. Take heart, he says, because it's true. Now, is that easy for us? No. I'm sitting there uh, going through this verse and looking at it and saying it's definitively true, right? There's going to be tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. I've given you peace because my Father loves you because you believe in me. Just truth, 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 truth. And then I look and I go, why why don't I experience this like I should? It's not a deficiency of what the truth is. It's a deficiency of my willingness to surrender to what that truth is. That's really what I've concluded. And I'm not the only one. Uh, By God's grace, the apostles were just as dumb as me. All right. Acts chapter 1, right? This is just weeks after Jesus says that in John. Weeks, right? Jesus rises from the dead. They all see him. But in Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 6, it says, when they had come together, they asked Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And, And they're asking this with a level of concern. 
Is it finally going to end? Is the persecution going to end? Is the being driven under going to end? And, and, and so again, they're already kind of nervous about what the future entails. And then Jesus says to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. Here's what I love about this. Um, they, they, they're worried about whatever tribulation and turmoil still might come. And, and, and Jesus says, here's how you're unlike the world. Don't worry about it. It's above your pay grade, man. That's above your pay grade. Worrying about tomorrow is above your pay grade. Worry, anxiety is really above your pay grade. You know why? You can't control it. You have no authority over tomorrow. You have no real authority over the great tribulation challenges of life. It's above your pay grade. But then he says something to me that I think is really, really cool in verse 8. He says, don't worry about it. But know this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, I think this is interesting for a handful of reasons, right? So again, Jesus, when will all things be set right? That's the question in verses 6 and 7. And what's his answer? Don't worry about it. That's my question too. Jesus, when will you set all things right? And he says, Matt, don't worry about it, all right? Instead, he says to these guys, focus on what you're about to receive. Don't worry about what you're uncertain of. Don't worry about what you don't have. Don't worry about the concerns you might build up. Instead, I want you to focus on one thing. Focus on what you're about to receive. You're about to receive power. Right? You're going to receive. That's the only thing I want you to focus on. Not the challenges, not the problems, not the questions. Just focus on the fact that you're going to receive power. Now, here's what's cool to me about this. Um, it's that reception of power that will be the very thing that enables them to then be tools to shape the very outcomes that they're thinking about. Right? So, maybe put this a little bit different. Let me give you the context again. Uh, when will the world be set right, Jesus? He says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about the challenges. Don't worry about the tribulations. Don't worry about the uncertainties. Rather, focus on the power that you've received, the very, fo- the very power that will then produce the very changes you're asking me about. Right? I, I don't know if you're getting that. But instead of sitting around and worrying about the problems, Jesus says, go and receive the, take the power that you receive and be a part of the solutions to solve the problems you're concerned about. Right? Don't worry about when it will be set right. Go take the power and set it right. Right? Take the power and set it right. Don't sit there on Facebook and complain about the problem. Right? Don't sit there with your friends and moan and gripe about the concerns and the worries and the damage being done and how everything's going to hell again in a handbasket. And I never know why a handbasket. I pick a thousand things over a handbasket. Maybe a Ferrari. That's how you get to hell. All right? So. Stop, man, stop worrying about all of that. You have power to solve problems. Don't sit around and just note the problems. Don't worry about the tribulations. Don't worry when it will be set right. Just go and start doing the stuff that sets it right. That's how we would be unlike the conditions. We're not here to worry or complain or to referee. We're not here to force or control, cajole or belittle people into certain things we're, we're we're here with power and we're here to use that power for god's mission like i said we don't have a mission god has a mission he's empowered us to that purpose now part of what this means then this being unlike the world is also the second on for us it means being uncommon and uncommon from the world around us. This word uncommon is what I would call the street equivalent of the word holy. Right? Holy just meant to be set apart or to be uncommon. Sometimes this word holy gets this bad reputation like the holy rollers. You know, I'm like, you know, they would be awesome in Vegas, I'm sure, the holy rollers. But um, it's almost as though, you know, holiness is like this overbearing thing. That's not what it is. Holiness is an uncommon thing. It's a different thing. And, and we then, as Christians, have to remember how we are uncommon, how his church is uncommon. Uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 6, says, We know, this is a fact again, we know 
that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be slaves of sin. So he says, here's what Jesus has done for his church and his people that he's sending on his mission. He has purified them. He has cleaned them. He has made them holy. He has freed them from the passions that used to control them. He's freed them from the dispositions that forced them in directions that, that were contrary to their design. Right? He freed us basically from ourselves by his sacrifice and his absorption of our sins and then gifting to us his nature and his righteousness, right? So that we might get over ourselves and so that we might be servants of others and examples to others, right? This is what this whole picture is. And he says, based on what is true in verse 6, live what's true. Based on the fact that you're holy, live as holy people. That's why he says in verse 12, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies. Right? Therefore, it ties back to verse 6. Based on this truth, don't let sin have control over you. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will no longer have dominion over you. It does not have dominion over you, since you are not under law, but now you are under grace. He says, this is how you are uncommon in the world so that you might be unlike the world that you're in. And he's just saying, here's the truth, here's the truth. Now, our challenge is always, how do we live what is true? But here's the truth. I think about this in the book of Titus, chapter 3. Titus, chapter 3, I'm going to actually start in verse 11 really quick. The, the screen won't start there, but I'm going to start there as I was reading through it just before things this morning. But it tallies to the fact that we're no longer under law but we're under grace verse 11 of titus chapter 2 says for the grace of god has appeared right it's appeared bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled upright and godly lives in this present age right so this is what grace does grace isn't just like ah you're good now we're good now everything's good now let's just roll being good you're forgiven, good enough. It doesn't, grace does that, but grace does so much more. Grace also stimulates and empowers and transforms and changes and stirs this whole thing in the person so that they say no to some things and they say yes to other things. In other words, uh, to be uncommon. Based on this, this idea that he gave himself to free us from all lawlessness and to purify himself of people who are his own possession, who are zealous for good works. In light of all of this, he goes into chapter 3, verse 1. And he says, remind the Christians, Paul tells Titus, remind the Christians to be submissive. Here's how we're uncommon. You're not going to like it. He reminds them to be submissive. That's us. Be submissive to rulers and authorities. To be obedient. To be ready for every good work. To speak evil of most of the people. Some of the people. To speak evil of two people. How about one person? Yes. Oh, repent. <laughs> to speak evil of no one. Ah, no one, man. To avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Oh, my goodness. Why? For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and in envy and in hatred, hating others and hated by others. And then Paul drops the big but. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. He says, this is a trustworthy thing that you want to understand. You want to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Now, when I say we are unlike the world and we're to be uncommon in the world, I look at that and go, well, what, what is the standard fare of the world that we live in? Go back to verse 3. 
the standard fare of the world that we live in is foolishness or disobedience or being led astray, just being slaves of various passions and pleasures, malice, envy, hatred, hating one another, hated by one another. I mean, man, just turn on the news. It doesn't take long to go, yeah, that was foolish. Yep, that's hate. That's people, that's haters hating haters. It's just a cyclical thing, right? So that's the common fare. So what would uncommon be? Verses 1 and 2 of Titus chapter 3. How we can be uncommon is we're submissive, obedient. We're ready for every good work. We don't speak evil of anybody. We avoid quarreling. We're gentle. We show perfect courtesy toward all people. This is good for what he says in verse 8, all people. This is how we are to act uncommon. I'll tell you what makes us most uncommon. I'm going to quote to you the words of Jesus out of Luke chapter 6. He says in verse 27, I say to you, to those who will hear, he knows not everybody's going to like this. He says, to those who will hear, love your enemies. Great. What does it mean to love my enemy, Jesus? Do good to them. Well, what if they hate me? Do good to those who hate you. Well, what if they curse me? Well, bless those who curse you. What if they, they say, I'm just this shallow, small-headed, bigoted-sounding, judgmental, narrow-minded, what, what do I do with that? And, and he says, then pray for them. Pray for them. Right? If they curse you, bless them. If they're mean to you, pray for them. If they hate you, love them. This is the Christian ethos right here. What's unique about the Christian ethic at large, it's one of the only ethics that says, where, what you must be compelled to do is to love those who vilify you. You must love those who hate you. This is what makes us so uncommon. And, and if we're failing to do that, if we go, no, 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 they hate us, so we hate them. They don't like us, we don't like them. They talk bad about us, so we talk bad about them. They belittle us, so we belittle them. Guess what? We're not uncommon. We're just like everything else. And when we're just like everything else, then we're leveraging earthly things with earthly tools for earthly goals, and there's nothing unique about that. Nothing unique about that. That's not grabbing shovel and super soaker and storm in hell. That's just being, it's like hell, man. It's just light everything on fire. This is how we are uncommon. Now, again, I get that it's not easy. I've had my fair share of critics, and I've been called a few things in history. I get that it's not easy. But then what the church has to remember is it's third on, and that is the fact that the church is unbreakable. Right? Jesus built his church in such a way that it cannot be broken. Second Corinthians chapter 4. I love this. I'm going to start in verse 6 actually. It says, For God who said, let the light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Right? So it's this super lofty concept, man. The glory of God, the face of Christ, the light of the gospel. is like this huge thing. And then Paul immediately drops into the human challenge in it all. He says, but, verse 7, we have this treasure, the, the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay, right? This is where the image is great, right? This priceless treasure in these jars of clay. The jars of clay are us, right? We're just, just like clay jars. You know, it feels like, man, we can be easily broken and cracked, and we're so insufficient to the task of the greatness of the good news of God, everything like that's how it feels. But then he, he says something about these jars of clay. He says, we have this treasure in the jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Right? God uses us, weak, broken things. A weak, broken, feeling entity called the church at times. To show that the power belongs to him, not us. But then he encourages us. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but man, we're not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our body. 
See, Paul gets this. He's giving a personal testimony, but I think it applies for all of us. What we have to do when we feel the pressure, we feel the pinch, we go, man, our eternity is certain. Our reward only intensifies. And, and, and we'll never go wrong then if we make sure that we love in place of hate, we bless in place of curse, we rejoice over despair, we obey instead of capitulate. Man, if we just say, that's our priority. I want to live the essence and attributes and attitudes of Jesus and all that I do. You know what? Man, that's going to be profound. Because, again, it's just living by the fact that we are unbreakable in the hands of God. Unbreakable. So, we're unlike, we're uncommon, we're unbreakable. All of which is because of, number four, the church is unstoppable. It's unstoppable for the world. I I, I want you to notice that I use the word for. The church is not unstoppable against the world. The church is unstoppable for the world. God has a mission for the world. He's given the world a church for his mission. What is the mission of God for the world? Man, I'm giving you the Sunday school verse. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world. Make sure we're clear on this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But then remember verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but in order that the world might be saved through him. There's God's mission statement. I'm here to rescue. I'm here to save. I'm here to grab. I'm here to transform. I'm here to mobilize. I'm here to move. I'm here to see things be made new. All things, it says in Revelation, will be made new. That's God's mission for the world. And then he gave a church for the mission. And in giving that church, I go back to Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, where we began. And I reinforce that That idea of the church for the world. Again, he says, I tell you, you're Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. I will do it. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Um, Oftentimes, people misunderstand this passage to make it sound like Jesus built a church and then built this wall or this gate around the church. And it's this protected enclave. It's not what he says. He says, I will build my church and hell with its gates that surround it will not withstand the onslaught of the church. The church is a gate crasher. We're not gate builders. We're gate crashers. That's what it says. Right? So we want to own that. Oh, wait, the reason Jesus builds a church is to storm hell's gates. When he means hell, he means men. The, the fact that men... Death is sure, death comes to all, and death apart from Christ is separation. And so Jesus says, church, I have a mission for the world. I want to save, not to condemn. So I've built you to crash the gates that that keep people estranged from me, and you bring the gospel to them so that they may know me and have life. Right? That's the purpose, that's the mission of the church. That's why we're here. And what I love about this is he says, it's unstoppable. Right? He doesn't say it might do this. He says the gates of hell will not prevail. Not might not prevail. Possibly, who knows? Depends what they're made of. Is it titanium? It doesn't do any of that. Right? Just they won't prevail. And what I love is in the very next verse, this is the evidence that it will not prevail. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. People get into this and go, what is this all about? Um, I'm going to take you to Psalm 24, 1 that says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, including all peoples, it says, who dwell there within. And, and, And what Jesus was ultimately saying to Peter and that early church is, I own it all. It's my pad. Here are the keys. Here's the keys to my place. The world's mine. But church, here's the keys to my place. I give you the keys as gate crashers because you don't fail, you succeed. I think we get real myopic. We start watching the news and we're watching the election. We're seeing the world. We go, it's all going to just burn. Right? And I go, wait, but Jesus says the church succeeds. It doesn't fail. The gospel succeeds. It doesn't fail. For 2,000 years, the gospel's been succeeding. It hasn't been failing. Right? 
I mean, we keep hearing the statistics over the last few years of, of increasingly more and more Christians around the world are losing their lives for their faith in different parts of the world. And, and we go, man, that is a tragic reality. But the other reality is because it's exploding so rapidly. Of course lots of Christians are dying because lots of people are coming to Christ. Right? Church doesn't fail in its mission. It succeeds. Why? Because it's not its mission. It's God's mission for the world. And so he gives his church the keys, not so we can rule the world, but so we can serve it. He gives us the keys, not so we can stand and resent it, but so we can reach it. Our mission is not to condemn the world around us, but rather to heal the world around us. Our mission is not just to blend in, be comfortable, take it easy, sing kumbaya, and just hopefully get through and go to heaven one day. No, we have a call God has a mission. He's left us as his church to bring a blessing to our culture and a blessing to the nations. Let's go ahead and pray together. Jesus, today for me in my mind at least, was just getting back to what is true of your church. There are plenty of techniques and tactics and strategies and practicalities and question marks that can be buried within all of those things. But, but I pray that at the end of the day we would be moved and motivated by what you state to be true of your church and that we would live based on what is true that we would live based on the position that you have established uh, in us by way of your cross and resurrection i pray that we would have a longing for that which you love and that your mission would be our our burden our burden of joy our burden of anticipation i pray that all of us would have the eyes of andrew and amber lynn who look upon people and grieve more than looking upon people and saying how foolish how reckless how silly how lost i i I pray that we would say man they need something different we have something to share i pray that that would be the heart we would have toward your world and your project we need you every day and we love you so much and i thank you for your grace and your good name